0: We're going to read from Philippians 1, 20 and 21. It's on page 831 in your pew Bible. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the Word of the Lord. Be to God. First off, when I was up in the baptistry there, I thought we had a larger band. You guys sounded so good, and appreciate that We got a lot of people out. Well, last Sunday was the Sunday of Sundays, wasn 't it? The celebration of Easter celebration of the resurrection and what we could call the big win. But what we need to keep in mind. On this Sunday after Easter is whether we live or whether we die, it 's a win-win situation. Have you ever been in a win-win situation? Uh, my daughter and son-in-law just got back from uh, Disney World. Anybody heard of Disney World before or been there? Yeah Let me ask you this. Have you ever been to, how many of you all been to Disney World and it was raining at some point? How many you all been there? OK, I love it when it rains at Disney World. That might sound weird. But that's better than a fast pass, because a lot of people stay in, they don't do anything. I remember, and it wasn't my favorite ride, but my son loved it so much, we did Buzz Lightyear 11 times, just went around and around, just loved it, and it got a little better as it went along. And uh, uh, but I loved it. Whenever it rains, it, you know it's win-win because if it's pretty like it is out there today, balmy, beautiful weather, it just adds to the majesty and the magic of it all. But you know what? If it's raining, I love it because you just can bolt through all the uh, different attractions, which I just love. So that's win-win. But for you, it could be something uh, in business. It could be a purchase that you're making. It could be that your favorite team. Is in a uh, tournament, but they've already, you know, they're already able to play in the championship. So whether they win or lose this game, it's still win win because they still get to move on because of the good record they have. We could go on, but Paul found himself in a win win. And he made that very, very clear in Philippians chapter one. No matter which way it went, he was fine. Either one was great. He basically says, you know, Caesar Caesar is either going to uh, kill me or let me live, but either way is fine. Let's look at Philippians 1, 21. Uh, I bet you learned it a different way. Uh, The way I learned it was for me to live as Christ and to die is, for me to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. I like the NLT, though. For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. And and, and we might nod our heads at that and say, yeah, that's fine and all and everything, but have we really bought into that? You know, do we really think, oh, either one is great at any moment? I think I might have shared, uh, Dr. Lewis Smeads taught at Fuller Seminary out in Pasadena, and he was in the big amphitheater classroom that, that I think you could uh, hold like 150 people in there. It's a big old class, and he, he walked in and asked, how many of you are looking forward to heaven? Now, this is a bunch of seminary students theological students how many of y'all are looking forward to heaven everybody raised their hand He said okay put your hands down how many of you all are, would go right now <laughs> he said there may be two or three well i don't know yeah not not quite ready but paul is like whatever happens at any time i'm great it's win-win either way whether i live whether i die uh, paul is telling you and me it's an easy buy-in And and either way is great. And I want to look at three ways, three specific ways that it's great either way. And it has to do with reward, passion, and security. Now, you've got your outline there uh, in your handout, or you can look at it on the screen or do both. But let's start with reward. First of all, if we live, we have the reward of increase, Of increase. You remember earlier on in chapter 1, Paul says, Hey, I'm in prison. Isn't it great? Because it has served to advance the gospel. It's becoming known through the Praetorian Guard and through other people, and other people are sharing the gospel now. It's all good. And he says, Because of this, I rejoice. Now, he's saying, though, that's fine, but it would also be great to be with Jesus. But for now, it's great to be a part of increasing his kingdom. You know, even when we don't see it, by the way. And I know we talk about that a lot but sometimes we're increasing the kingdom of God when we don't realize it because of all that's going on with God and not with us we might not see all of the difference God is making as we do ministry as we do mission work but it's there all the more we're increasing the glory of God if nothing else and that's important to keep in mind even when we're not seeing all these direct results just this last Friday I guess Renee's not here where did Brian goes Brian here Renee's not here today they have the flu, no excuse, she should be here anyway, no, Uh, no, yeah, understood, Renee uh, lectured in my uh, formation for ministry class Friday, and was just dynamite, by the way, and, but she talked about some missionary friends of ours, do you know what, you know, just on average, how many people show up for church on Sundays when they worship, four people, and it's been that way for a long time, but they're like, that's fine, I mean, We're doing what we're called to do, we're glorifying God, Uh, you know, we're increasing his glory just by being here. Keep in mind that what Paul is saying here, it's not just increasing in number, it's increasing in the glorifying of God, which is really what ultimately we are here to do. Uh, Renee also talked about a friend of yours, and you probably know who she's talking about, who's over uh, in the 1040 window in the Middle East, uh, uh, and uh, she hasn't seen a convert, I think she said, in 10 years. That's okay, though. I mean, she's like, no, but I'm doing what I'm called to do. And yes, I can't help but go back to my hero, uh, the father of modern missions, uh, William Carey, who left England, went to India, uh, lived the rest of his life there, died there. He did not see a convert for the first eight years of his ministry. Now, he wound up having an amazing effect, not just on the kingdom of God, but the nation of India. He's still kind of revered over there. But again, he didn't have a convert for a long time, but that was fine. He said, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm glorifying God. Now, what's cool is the Philippian church had an amazing grip on this. They had an amazing grip on reality. Do you know what the church of Philippi was known for among all the churches that Paul had founded? (laughs) Two things, poverty and suffering. That's what Philippi was known for, which is amazing when you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, because you can tell they are a people of joy, which is why Paul enjoyed being around them. And what's amazing is no matter how much hardship they faced, no matter how much poverty they faced, they were still giving of themselves to increase the kingdom. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5, because Paul is talking about the church at Philippi here. Now, this is cool, because this is Paul writing to a rich church. Corinth had some deep pockets. Philippi had hardly anything, and it was from the area of Macedonia. Uh, That's where you were a journeyman, right? Macedonia, pretty cool. All right. He said, now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has gone gone through the churches in Macedonia, what he has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, suffering, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more above and beyond, right? And they did it of their own free will. They, and I love this, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord, glorifying God, and to us, leaders of the church, just as God wanted them to do. The Philippians, this poverty-stricken church, really was the shining example to Paul in terms of what it meant to minister the gospel and to give on behalf of the gospel, even though they were probably the poorest church. So Paul is just amazed by these people, and they have a grip on this idea of, you know what, if I live, I'm supposed to increase the glory of the gospel. I think it's cool, because here's, here's Paul, who's not even in poverty, he's in prison, uh, writing to this uh, church that is in poverty and hardship, but they're also overjoyed. Why? Because for me to live as Christ and to die is what, again, help me? Gain? Well, let's talk about the dying part. If we die, we receive, here's a different reward. If we die, we receive the reward of deliverance, of deliverance. You know, Paul says, I have another reason for rejoicing. Yeah, if I live, I help increase the gospel, whether it is by number or I'm just glorifying God, which is the greatest thing someone can do and should be the greatest source of one's joy. But in addition to that, you know, all of this is going to lead to my, for lack of a better term, salvation or validation. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. He says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. The word deliverance there really means salvation or validation. You know, ultimately this will complete my salvation, I'll be validated. Now, not because I'm all good and everything, I'll be validated because of the Christ who stands there with me in heaven, and I am validated because of him. But again, we're not validated of ourselves, but because of him. But what he's saying is, I will have that final stamp of approval that will lead to my ultimate salvation. It will complete my salvation when I die. Which takes you back to that marvelous verse, uh, Philippians 1, 6. Which he really is saying to the church at Philippi and to you. He's saying what? He says, and I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. At the day of Christ Jesus. When you get there, your salvation is completed. You are delivered. And what a great, you know, completed deliverance it will be. Uh, just this past week, many of you know we had two tragedies in our church, and one was uh, uh, the death of uh, Gil and Vicki Frank's son, Zach. And uh, I so appreciated Vicki at the end of the memorial service. She really wanted me to incorporate Revelation twenty-one four, which is that marvelous verse that basically says when you get to heaven, there's no more pain, there's no more poverty, there's no more hardship or stress or sorrow or violence or division or confusion or uncertainty or any of those things. It's complete, surpassing peace and joy. In fact, Paul is actually quoting Job here. Did you know that? If you look at Job chapter 13, this is right after his three friends, so-called friends, basically said, you know, I think, wow, this stuff happened to you, Job. It's because you did something wrong. And Job just shoots right back to him, and he says, what? Keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. And he says, indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance come what may whatever happens to me I will ultimately be delivered by the saving God and Paul uses that in his own in his own thinking I'll be rewarded whatever Caesar chooses to do with me if I live or if I die I'll receive marvelous reward either way not only that but either way I get to experience passion whether it's in this reality or the reality to come so let's talk about the passion here if we, first of all, if we live, we savor the passion of service. Verse 20 says this, I fully expect... I think it's verse 20, hey, there it is. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. That first phrase, I fully expect, sometimes it's uh, translated, I eagerly expect. It's an interesting word. It's actually one word that, that, that uh, Paul takes three words and kind of Frankensteins them together. Three words my head, away, and looking. And what he's saying is this, I am totally locked in on serving Christ, that's all I'm concerned about is being a bold witness for him, not being ashamed, and I'm totally locked into that, I'm not worrying about anything else, I'm not embarrassed about anything, I'm not ashamed about serving him, I'm not ashamed about making a strong case for him before Caesar himself, think about that. Going before the head of the Roman Empire, I'm I'm just supremely confident that I will be this amazing witness and a strong witness because I am completely sold out for this gospel that has saved my life. That's his passion. And, and, And the thing is, he's telling the Philippians, I know that Christ is with me. I know that Christ is with me and working through me. It was really cool after the first service. Uh, Some of y'all remember Todd Stevens, who grew up at this church. I was talking um, with Richard and Gail Stevens. In fact, I think the flowers today are in memory of Todd. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, see, head's nodding. Todd was an amazing young man. Uh, Leukemia took his life, I think, when Todd was about 20, if I'm not mistaken. 20, early 20, I think 20. Uh, An amazing young man, an amazing witness for Christ, On a side note, every semester, uh, the Sigma Chi's at Sanford still honor him. They go at night to where uh, uh, Todd is buried. But what's cool is, uh, what I talked about here uh, in the first service, uh, Gail and Richard came up to me and said, man, that dovetails right with what's on Todd's monument stone, on his stone, which apparently is Galatians 2.20. Because this was Todd's favorite verse. And this really speaks to Christ being with you and working in and through you. It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Todd's a great example of someone who had that earthly body, but now is in that enviable place where there is nothing but peace and joy and everlasting love. Pure pure love but again that's important to keep in mind that we have this passion for serving him we savor this passion of serving jesus but knowing that he is there with us is just so amazing i will say a caveat with that though which is keep in mind that he's not with just with us he's watching us (laughs) So, you know, it, it should make you want to uh, serve him well. I'll just put it that way. I was reminded of this recently. I read something that Kevin Miller recently wrote. He has a good friend who's a business executive who flies all over the place. I was talking to somebody uh, during Sunday school who has a relative who, who's been like 140 countries. This is, this, is, this is that kind of guy. I mean, he's just, he just flies all the time. And he was on one particular flight and was just blown away by the flight attendants. Uh, He said the flight crew was amazing. He said they were so efficient. They were so fast. They were so polite. They were just so hospitable in every way. He said, I've been on hundreds of flights, but this flight crew is just A plus. They're the best by far, and I'm just blown away by it. Well, uh, they started their initial descent (laughs) into Denver, and um, he pulled over one of the flight attendants and just said, I I just want to tell you, your flight crew is amazing. I've been on hundreds of flights, and this is the best by far. I just wanted to compliment you. Your efficiency, your effectiveness, you're so competent. And she leaned in and whispered to him, well, you can thank the lady in 12B. He was like, what? He said, the the lady sitting in 12B. And he looked back, he said, yeah, she's the head supervisor for all flight attendants for this airline. And here she is on our flight. So, well, well and let me, you know, because I thought about that because I thought, you know, if Jesus really is in our midst, <laughs> in a sense, if he's on our flight, <laughs> does that not suggest something about how bold and efficient and capable we want to be as we share that passion of the gospel with others? What a blessed opportunity that is, but we also obviously want to go above and beyond and do it well. So we have that passion of serving him, but let's go on. Okay, so if we live that, we have that passion of serving Jesus. If we die, what? If we die, we savor the passion of presence. And that's just being in the presence of Christ. And I won't say much about that, but I do love how Paul says, you know, if Caesar puts me to death, I'm great. In fact, you know, later on he says, I'm torn between the two. You know, I'd love to just go on and be with Jesus, but, you know, for now I'll hang with you guys. Uh, I still uh, have a clip out from uh, Life Magazine 1994 when Billy Graham, who just passed on recently, right? But back in 1994, uh, Life Magazine did a story on him and they interviewed him and they asked him, they said, You know, Dr. Graham, honestly, how do you feel about death? How do you feel about death? And I just think he put it pretty simply but very solidly. And this is what he said He said, I'm looking forward to death. I'll be very happy to get out of this body and into the new world that's been prepared. It'll be a feeling of tremendous joy and relief and rest. The Bible says, I have not seen nor heard nor has there entered in the mind of man what God has in store for us in the future life. Do I fear death? No. I look forward to death with great anticipation. I am looking forward to seeing God face to face, and that could happen any day. He seemed ready any day back in 94. Uh, We lost him here just recently, but no doubt, even then and throughout his life, he had that win-win understanding. Either way, you savor the passion of serving Jesus in this life or the passion and savoring the passion of being with him in his very presence. But one other way I want to talk about, either way you have security, either way you have security. If we live, we have the security of family. Uh, You read... (laughs) All of Paul chapter 4, and you'll just have to trust me on this. I had a colleague in the religion department for a while named Paul Holloway. He spoke here once or twice on Wednesday nights. Brilliant guy, just finished, um, uh, well, the the Hermeneia commentary on Philippians, which Hermeneia is the most scholarly commentary you can possibly do. So he knows Philippians frighteningly well. And he says one of the big meta themes of, of Philippians is Paul is trying to put it back on the Philippian church members saying, don't worry about me. He basically says, I appreciate y'all reaching out to me. That's fine, but I'm fine. You remember what he does in, in Philippians 4? He starts talking about what? Thank you for bringing me this wonderful gift, but y'all, I'm fine. He says, in fact, I know the secret of being content. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have very little, right? I know what it's like to be free. I know what it's like to be in a dark jail cell like I am now. But in any and all things, I have learned the secret of contentment, which is what? I can, y'all probably know this. I can do all things what? through Christ, who does what? Strengthens me. And then he says, even so, you were kind to bring that to me. And he's kind of like, it's not like he's being flippant, but what he's trying to do is this. He's trying to say, don't worry about me. You all focus on your ministries, your passion for serving the gospel. And really, the other meta theme that you find in Philippians is, hey, you've got God and you've got each other. So you're fine. You have the security of having God in your life and each other in your life. And let me talk about that you know, each other in your life for just a minute. Um, Because last week, as I said in the business meeting Wednesday night, uh, you know, as objectively and non-prejudicially as I can say, Brookwood is kind of, in my mind, on rock star status when it comes to missions. We're just good at that. It's who we are. Um, I don't think you would say, oh, we're good at that. You'd say, well, that's just kind of who we are. That's our identity. I don't care. I'm going to say, we're good at that. But anyway, you you know what I'm saying. We don't want to boast with that. But one thing I learned again this past week as we lost two people associated with our church due to sudden tragedy was I'm amazed once again at how we are a tribe for each other, how we really do circle the wagons for each other when somebody's going through some kind of crisis, how we just envelop people in love and help and prayers. I was just blown away by that this past week. Some of y'all know what I'm about to share, but... but um, uh, you know, Ralph Garth over at Truvine Church has known Gil Franks longer than any of us. They knew each other long before we knew who Ralph Garth was here. And so when Ralph went to see him after their son Zach was killed in the car accident, um, Ralph went up and just held him and just said, Gil, you tell me what you need. You tell me if there's anything I can do, whatever I can do for you, uh, I'm ready to help. And uh, Gil looked at him and said, Ralph, you already did you told us about Brookwood. You told us to go visit Brookwood. That's what he said. And uh, Gil told me that, and later Ralph told me that too. But that says a good deal, I think, about how I perceive us as a tribe being there for one another. And we have that security. Not that we're in some escapist fashion, avoiding or ignoring what what this life can throw at you, because this life can bang you around a good bit. But we're there for each other and can offer security and solace for one another. We really are a tribe. It's almost soldier-like, which gets me to verse 27. Paul says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the, for the faith, uh, which is the good news. Now, go back to citizens of heaven there. Paul is using a, a, a play on words there as a dual meaning because people in Philippi were very proud of their Roman citizenship. In fact, it was a Roman colony. It was independent. Uh, uh, they were not They were part of the Roman Empire, but in a way, they had some independence, and they were very proud of that, but they were still proud to be Roman citizens. A lot of soldiers lived in Philippi. Why? Because when a Roman soldier would retire, they would offer free land for a retiring soldier in Philippi. So they'd get a strip of land and get to build a home. So again, uh, they're thinking, that's where my citizenship is, is in Philippi. Well, no, Paul is saying, you know, all of you soldiers... In philippi your citizenship is also in heaven in fact that's primarily where it is and what he's saying is as citizens of heaven you soldier on but trusting that you have that security of the family of god around you you're a part of this new citizenship the citizenship of heaven which begins even now the new tribe so you can stand firm striving together as one as it says So as long as we live, we're blessed immeasurably immeasurably by being a part of this tribe. Not just the tribe of Brookwood, but the tribe of the church universal. So as long as we live here, we have the security of family, if we really buy into that. But finally, when we die, not if we die, when we die, we have the security of home. Let's look at verse 23. There we go. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to depart and be with Christ which would be far better for me. I mentioned this earlier. He's kind of like, I, I can't decide between the two. And he says, I long to depart and be with Christ. The word depart there in the Greek refers to breaking up camp. It, it was, really was referring to military people who would be either out close to a battlefield or they were out drilling for a number of days and they were setting up everything and setting up the tents and everything, but now they're breaking camp and heading back home. I would kind of fashion it after being on a mission trip. And some of y'all have been on mission trips where you really, it gets, you get way out there and it gets dirty and sweaty and it's hard work and there are challenges you face, but it's unbelievably satisfying and fulfilling. But then again, it really is nice to get back to your home, to your bed, your pillow. Have you ever had it nice to get back to your pillow, anybody? Get back to your pillow, get back to your, your church family, get back to your church. Again, it's so great to be able to find that home. And ultimately you have that spiritual security of home. To, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain, it gets even better. In fact, let's go back to our original verse, verse 29. Excuse me, verse 21, rather. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Sometimes you'll hear people say, to live as Christ and to die is gain and keep it that. I think it's so important to remember those first three words. For to me, for to me. Because my question is, is that your conviction, you know? Is that, do you really buy into that? For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Let me just close by saying this. Every religion has to answer two questions. What is life and what is death? And religions answer those two questions very differently. The way I would say it is Buddhism says to live is to achieve good karma and to die is to hope for a better reincarnation. Islam says, to live is to obey Allah, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, death is to achieve a personal paradise, God willing. Secularists, and I would say we know some of them around here, as well as all over the globe, they would say, to live is self and to die is loss. In other words, it's really all about the self, and when you die, you lose everything. And Paul says, no, 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 no. For me to live is Christ, and dying is even better. The question is, is that authentically your conviction? Do you buy into that? Let's pray together. Lord, can we honestly say to live is to live for you and dying is gain? So we ask that you be with us even now that some of us might consider whether or not we've really bought into that. If there be anyone in here who really has not done so, we ask that they might f- sense a moving in their hearts by your Spirit, that they might make that change and make that commitment in their own life. Lord, we ask that you be with us now as we stand to sing in just a moment our song of commitment. We ask that anyone feels led to make some type of public profession, just as Sammy D. did just a little while ago. We pray that they would do just that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.